All right, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Now, before I read it, here's what I want you to do. I want you either in your Bible, if you're comfortable with doing it, or on a piece of paper. I want you to make a note of all the different names that Paul mentions, because it's important that you do for a couple of reasons. One, we're going to be coming back and looking at each of these names. At the same time, there's a reason why these names are here. Every word of Scripture is what? It's God-breathed. So... That's here for a reason. And what this here at the end, uh, what Paul's doing. Well, let's just put it this way. As we attempt to conclude our study of this book, we see that Paul is taking care of a bit of administration and directions for the churches. And also some of the individuals in the churches that will be receiving these letters. We have to remember, Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during his first imprisonment in Rome. All right. So this, let me read this section to you. Says Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Tychicus, we see in verse 7, was one of Paul's valued leaders along with Timothy and Titus. And I'm going to show you that in just a little bit. In fact, Paul would send Tychicus to check on churches as a substitute for Timothy and Titus in some cases. So what we're going to do real quick is I'm going to give you a real quick study on who Tychicus is. Go back to Acts chapter 20. Let me show you where the first time you meet him is. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. There's just been a riot in Ephesus because of the gospel. And it says in chapter 20, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus, and Secondus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus, and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. By the way, who's saying we? Who's writing the book of Acts? 
Luke, very good. So even though he doesn't mention his name, he's a part of this group as well. He stayed with Paul, but this other group of men that God was using alongside of Paul as helpers in the ministry, they were traveling with him. They went on ahead and waited for him in Troas. All right, so we see Tychicus as he travels with Paul and a group of others in his missionary band. In this group is Timothy and Aristarchus, and you're going to see those names uh, come up again. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter four, verses nine through 13. Paul says, "Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in, for ministry." And look at verse 12. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So we see here, he sent Tychicus to, here in this time, this time, Ephesus. And so Tychicus was one of these men that, remember Paul sent Timothy to go pastor one church for a while and to check on Titus he would send. Tychicus is another one. We hear of Timothy and Titus because we have books of the Bible that are written you know, to them. We don't know much about Tychicus, but he's actually one of the leaders that Paul used just like Timothy and Titus. There, one other example, turn over one book to the book of Titus chapter 3 and you'll see again in verse 12. It says, when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. So he's writing to Titus and he says, when I send either one of these guys, it may be this guy, Artemis, or it may be Tychicus. I'm not sure. But when I send one of these guys, then I need you to come see me over here. So we're going somewhere with these names. So stick with me. Don't say, oh, Jim, what's the point? We're just looking at names. And no, there's actually something here I can't wait to show you, but we got to wait just a little bit. All right. Co-laborers are good, but some co-laborers are to be groomed for ministry of their own, or the ministry dies with the one person who never trained others in whatever calling God had for them. There's a danger in some Christian ministries in churches and in parachurch ministries where the ministry gets built around that individual, and when that individual dies, the ministry dies. And what I do... I'm training pastors and preachers all around the globe, especially in America. And I, my role is to equip them to do what God's called them to do. But if I just go in and just do my thing and don't help others in my role, what good is it? You understand? And so these men that Paul had working with him, for a while they traveled with him. But when it was time, when they were ready... He would send them off on their own to do ministry for him. Years ago, when I was on staff at a church in New Orleans, one of eight pastors, and I was brand new in the ministry. I'd been a youth pastor at a couple of churches before that, but for the most part, I'd never been on staff at a church full time. And when I was in seminary, I went on staff at this church. And when I graduated seminary, I went on, I, they took me on full time. And there was another pastor there about my age named John Crow, and he and I were buddies. He was the minister of education, and he and I got along great, and our families got along good. And uh, his wife actually liked Becky because there's not a lot of ladies that like Becky, but I just, um, <laughs> she's smiling because she knows it's not true. But our families got along real good. But there was a problem. Whenever the past senior pastor would give me an assignment, I would get John and say, let's go do it. Because I was scared to do something by myself. 
And so it happened all the time that he'd give me an assignment. I'd go get John and say, let's go do this. Well, one day, Buford calls me into his office and says, you're going to stop doing it. I go, what am I doing? He goes, every time I give you an assignment, you go get John. I didn't ask you to go get John. I'm trying to teach you how to do ministry on your own. And one day you're going to leave here and you're going to pastor a church all by yourself. And you won't have somebody like John to work alongside of you. And you're ready now to go do things on your own. I'm going to give you another assignment and you're not going to call John. And it was scary to me. But he began to teach me how to do ministry on my own. For a while he let me go. But when he knew I was ready, he said, now go try it for yourself. And folks, I just want to encourage you in whatever it is that God's called you to do. If there are others who work alongside of you, that's okay. That's great. Be training and equipping them. But there needs to be a time where you let them go do whatever it is God's called them to do. And too many people build a ministry and they think those workers in the ministry are supposed to just be there to help me. No, they might just be there alongside of you for a while as God prepares them for what he's got for them to do. You know Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I've preached on a lot, but in verses 11 through 12, it says, And he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints. For what? For the work of the ministry. In other words, he didn't give people like me and others who have been gifted to communicate the Word of God in whatever their role is, just to build their own ministry. We're supposed to be equipping you to go do ministry. And that's one thing I love about what Paul does here. He always had people always around him. And I'm explaining a little bit why. There's even more to it than that. But he was also not only having them around him when it was time, he would send them off on their own to go do ministry as well. It wasn't about Paul. If you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and following, especially in chapter 3, he deals with the church in Corinth who had been dividing themselves over some people saying, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas, I follow Apollos. And he just says, who are these people you're listing? Just servants of God. One plants, another waters. It's God who gives the increase. Take your eyes off of men and put them back on God. And he just saw himself as just a servant of the Lord. And he doesn't seem to be too bothered by the fact that he's sitting in prison, does he? You're going to see why in just a little bit. Why did Paul send Tychicus? Take a look back in Colossians. Tell me why. Why did Paul send Tychicus? Look at verse 7 and following. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. And I sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may what? And that he may encourage you. Go real quick to Ephesians chapter 6. Just back up a couple of books. And look at verses 21 and 22. Remember, a book of Ephesians was written around the same time that book of Colossians was. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21 and 22. So that you may also know how I, am, how I am and what I'm doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Does that sound familiar? Tychicus had been sent not only to the church in Colossae, but also with this letter that was to be passed around to all the churches, possibly starting in the church at Ephesus, but to be passed around. We know it as the book of Ephesians. And Tychicus was to go with it to tell them how, they, how Paul was doing, what was going on, and also to encourage them in the Lord. Folks, how do we encourage people in the Lord? What's the only way we can encourage people in the Lord? By telling them about the Lord. Reminding them about who he is. 
There are times that you'll be going through stuff that I can't say it'll get better. I don't know it will. Does the promise, the Bible promise that it will in this life? Not always. But when I come alongside of you, what I can do is this. Remind you of who God is and what he's promised and what is true. We know that when David was hiding from Saul and he had been running for his life for a few years, the scripture says that Jonathan, his friend, came and found him when Saul couldn't find him, but Jonathan found him. And the scripture says he strengthened him in the Lord. Oh, and then all he could do was encourage him about who God is and what God had promised. And then he went back to the palace while David stayed hiding in the caves. But what did, if you look at the story, and we don't have time to go there, what did, what did Jonathan tell David when he went there and encouraged him in the Lord? He reminded him of God's promise. Remember, David had already been anointed the next king of Israel. God had already said, you're going to be the next king. And all Jonathan could do was say, I know it looks bad. I know it looks like this is never going to happen. I know it looks like my dad's just about to get you and to get you killed. And he's got all these people everywhere, spies in different cities, telling him when you show up there. I know it looks bad, but God's made a promise. He's already said you will be the next king. And even though I'm next in line, I know you will be the next king because God has said. Hang on. And then Jonathan goes back to the palace. David stays there, but he encouraged him in the Lord. Folks, that's one of the biggest things we're supposed to be doing alongside of each other. I have a tendency sometimes because I'm a guy and also because I'm, I was a pastor and I was trained the wrong way at times. Whenever people would come to me with their problems, I wanted to fix it. You wives, do you ever get frustrated at your husband sometimes because you're sharing with them your frustrations, your struggles, and they're so busy coming up with the answer, you don't think they're even listening? I heard a comedian just recently say, ladies, this is why. It's like, we're a, you ever put a dog biscuit on a dog's nose? And they're just waiting for that time when you can say, get it, and then they go and eat it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, just picture that. When wives, when you're talking to your husband, they, they, got the, they already know what they want to say. In their minds, they've already got the fix. And the reason you're getting frustrated because they're not listening is because they're just waiting for you to stop so they can go and tell you what they would think already. I was that way as a pastor. I've been that way as a husband. I used to always think that it was my job to show you how to fix it. I wanted to fix it. So one day, God showed me I wasn't the Holy Spirit. That was a freeing day, by the way. I'm not supposed to fix it. I can't tell you how it's going to get better this, in this life, but I can tell you this much. Who God is hasn't changed. And everything he said is true. And all I can do is remind you of what his word says and send you back to him. And that's all you're to do amongst each other. So Tychicus was coming to encourage them in the Lord. Tell them what, how Paul was and what was been going on and to encourage them in the Lord. But there's something else here in verse 9 that most people wouldn't really know is going on. Look at verse 9 again at Colossians chapter 4. Not only going to encourage your hearts, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now there's something going on here that most people don't really realize is happening. Uh, Tychicus didn't tell us everything that had gone in there in Rome, did he? So what we need to do to find out what's really going on here is we need to go to a different book that Paul wrote. Remember he wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and what other book did he write while he's in the prison there? Nope, he didn't write Galatians while he was there in this imprisonment. It was Philemon. He wrote Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Let's go look at the book of Philemon. 
See, you thought we were just studying Colossians tonight. We're going to actually look at the book of Philemon. But I promise not to break the whole book down. Just pull out what we need. Philemon is a short little book. I'm going to read the whole book to you, and then you'll understand what's going on, what Tychicus is doing with this guy Onesimus. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Appia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Look at verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, because remember, he was an apostle, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for, also for Christ Jesus, I appealed to you from my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. That doesn't mean he had given birth to him humanly. He had become a believer in Christ through Paul's preaching while he was there and in Rome in the imprisonment. Whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but now much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, that I'm, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I'll be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, fellow, names we just saw in Colossians, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. As we put Philemon, verses 1 and 2, together with Colossians 9, there's something here that I had never seen before. The Colossian church met in Philemon's house. You see Colossians chapter, go back to Colossians chapter 4 real quick and look at verse 9. I'm sending Tychicus to you, he says. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. Did you catch that? Who's one of you. And then what does it say here in Philemon, verses 1 and 2? It says, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church where? In your house. The church in Colossae met in Philemon's house. Aphia here most likely is his wife, and Archippus is most likely their son. Go back to Colossians chapter 4, look at verse 17. 
and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I never really put this together until I had begun to dug into the, dig into this, dug, dig, whatever it is. I have trouble with English sometimes. But, but Philemon was a wealthy man in that area there in the city of Colossae. He had at least one slave. His name was Onesimus. And this slave ran away. Most likely stole some money from Philemon in the process. That's why Paul, knowing the whole story, would say, if he owes you anything, charge it to my account. And what happens is, Onesimus runs away, and like most slaves did, he ran away to Rome, where you could get kind of lost in the whole slave population there. In doing so, somehow, some way, and we don't know the whole story, he ends up meeting Paul. Remember, Paul's in prison, in prison in Rome, but he's in a house. He's allowed to have visitors come and go. And because of the way that God's working through Paul, word is spreading in Rome, and people are coming and going, and a lot of people are coming to faith as he preaches and teaches, even though he's in prison. And Onesimus ends up meeting Paul, becomes a believer. In becoming a believer, Paul hears his whole story, finds out that he actually was a slave that had run away from Philemon, and Paul says, you need to go back. And he sends him back with Tychicus as a kind of a bodyguard to protect him, and takes him back to Philemon, and with him he sends this letter saying, Philemon, I could order you to do this because I'm over you in the Lord. But I'd rather appeal to you out of love that you do this out of, the, out of your own heart and your own desiring to do so. I want you to receive him back, but I want you to receive him back as a brother in the Lord. You might not be too excited about what this guy's done and all this stuff, but I'm going to tell you, God's turned it into something awesome. And I want you to bless me by how you respond to this. And there's a whole lot more going on here. Isn't that kind of cool that this is all happening? And most likely Philemon came to faith because of... Paul's preaching as well. That's why Paul kind of throws in that. You kind of owe me yourself yourself. Paul's apostolic instruction as to how he hoped uh, Philemon would re uh, respond shows us something about Paul as well. Did he have authority? Did he lord his authority over those under him? Remember Peter's preaching in 1 Peter chapter 5? Verses 1 through 5, he says, I appeal to you elders as a fellow elder. Be shepherds of God's flock which is under your care. Not because you must, but because you're willing. Not lording your authority over those entrusted to you, but being an example. I love the fact that Paul says, you know, I could pull out the authority card, but I'm not going to. I want you to do this out of your own heart. Well, you know who that sounds like? Jesus. Is Jesus our Lord? Could he call the shots and pull the, the, the authority card? Sure could. Does he? No, he wants us to respond out of the sincerity of our hearts. He could, but he doesn't. Now, has anybody yet seen the value of all these people who served alongside Paul in ministry yet? Has anybody? I had you look at these names. Go back to Colossians real quick. Look at these names. Tychicus, Onesimus, Aristarchus, Mark. Barnabas, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, Demas. We'll get to him in a little bit. There's a value in this. You see, Paul had a lot to give and tremendous value in his usefulness to all the churches that he ministered to across the globe as an apostle. And this is long before email, texts, phone calls. These men and women used their ability to carry letters and instructions to many places that Paul could not go, especially since he was now a prisoner. In other words, God was using Paul mightily in the gifting that he'd been given with the insight that God had given him and his ability to teach and preach the word of God. Yet 
it's hard for him to get the message out. But he brought people all alongside to work with him so that those people could use their gifts to get that message out. And now Paul's sitting in prison and his work's not getting slowed down one bit, is it? Actually, it looks like it's getting picked up. So what I want to do real quick is I want to just use Just a Preacher Ministries as an example of what I'm talking about. The same holds true today. I preach Just a Preacher. But God uses websites, CD recordings, DVDs and such to carry the messages to places I may never get to. It's been amazing to me. How years ago, when I was pastor even here at First Baptist in the Atlantic, I didn't know it. But someone was taking the messages back when they were on audio tape and cassette tape. And they were sending them to Damascus, Syria, to where a church had been meeting at that time. And there was a group meeting, sitting in a living room, somebody's house, listening to the recordings of messages I had preached here at First Baptist in the Atlantic, two weeks behind us. And I didn't know it, but at the time I was pastor of a church in Damascus, Syria. God... It's pretty amazing. But did I go do that? Or did the people that did the recording do that? Do you see? It's the people that actually worked in recording the messages and then making copies. And then there were people typing out the labels and there were people doing all the different things and the people that were passing them on and mailing them. And folks, you got to understand, you, there's an excitement that you can get when you realize there's more to ministry. If we just find out what our role is, my one little piece, you can be used by God in many ways. Some of you give money to this ministry. And in doing so, I'm able to go preach without charging a fee. It's one of the, I don't know if you know this or not, but you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody in ministry today that doesn't have a cover charge before they'll come. Whenever, whenever I, 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 churches call me and pastors will call, they've heard about my ministry, they'll always ask, well, how much do you charge? I say, I don't. They go, you don't? I said, if you have no money, I'll still come. Well, how can you do that? I say, first and foremost, I never want to tell someone you can't hear God's word unless you have enough money. That's why we give my books away. We tell them they're $5. If you got five bucks, great. If you don't, take one. That's why we give the CDs and the DVDs away. It costs money to, present, to print them out. But our attitude is we never, ever, ever want to say you can't hear God's word unless you have enough money. So we have set it up that just a preacher will never, ever charge. If you can, I tell churches, you want to take a love offering, great. You want to cover expenses or airplane ticket or rental car or whatever, that's wonderful, whatever you choose to do. But if you choose to do none of that, I'll still be there and I'll just take care of it myself. You know why? Because there are people that give to this ministry that make it possible for me to do what God's called me to do. And I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Go real quick to Luke chapter 8. Look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through three. Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others, look, who provided for them out of their means. Do you realize that God was using a bunch of ladies to support the Jesus and his disciples as they went around from town to town and village to village? There were ladies that would, most people in that day would say, well, they wouldn't have anything to offer. Somehow, some way, they had means and they were supporting them. Folks, I just can't stress that enough. Thank you for those who give. 
because we're able to just go do it. And God's using you to get the message all over the globe. Uh, there's more. I can't reach everyone via electronic communication. But we got people that write letters and other people to make sure that the accounting is recorded properly for tax purposes. Some people, we do a lot of stuff versus uh, email and different things like that and text. But there are some people that don't have computers still. And they give to the ministry and we make sure that they get letters saying thank you for their gift and also the tax. There are people that take care of all that accounting. Thank God I don't have to. You, they give probably thank God that I'm not the one keeping track of whether or not you gave and how much. You don't want me doing it. But there are people that actually, and there's more than one, there are people that that's their role. They, make, they take care of the accounting. They take care of recording it. They take care of sending the letters to say thank you. They're the ones that make sure that it tax season, everything all matches up, and that those letters are all passed out to everyone, and their tax paperwork, and it's all been done appropriately. Thank God for those. There are those who take care of all the tax government paperwork. I don't know if all of you even realize it, but to be a not-for-profit ministry is not an easy thing, especially in this day and age when the government doesn't like us. The red tape, the hoops you have to jump through. The process just to get a 501c3 takes over a year. And you have to pay quarterly. And you have to estimate. And there are people that take care of that and they use their gifts and that's all taken care of. I just study and preach and travel. There are others who use their administrative gifts to take care of um, when we do our cruises. I don't know if you know it, there's a lot that goes on to make one of those things go to come together. People who take care of all that kind of stuff. There are others who use their gifts in uh, banking, scheduling plane flights, rental cars. I could go on and on. A lot is accomplished for and by the Lord in this ministry through the many people who serve the Lord using their gifts. And so you may look and say, well, Jim, you're just you're one person. Oh, no, I'm not. I had the privilege of preaching the last two weeks at First Merritt Island. Don't know if you know it or not. But in order for me to preach at First Merritt Island, there had to be people taking care of the sound. They, else they wouldn't have heard me in that sanctuary that's so big. There are people that take care of the video. And when I showed pictures while I was preaching this past week, there are the people that paid the bills so that the electricity would have the electricity and the lights and the air conditioning. Folks, there's so much that goes on. Here's what I want you to hear. It's no accident that at the end of the, book of, of the book of Colossians, Paul points out all these different people. You all have a role. Find out what it is. I don't preach. Good. Don't. I don't sing. Good. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 9. Therefore, I say to you, according to the grace given me, in other words, the role God gave me, he gave me authority, Paul says, to say some things to you. I say to you, according to the role given me, the authority given me, don't think of yourself any more highly than you ought, but each with sober judgments in accordance with the measure of faith that you've been given. If your gift is this, do that. If your gift is this, do that. Stop listening when everybody says you ought to be doing more. That whole attitude of doing more for God lines up more with Satan than it does Jesus. Satan was given a role by God and he said, that's not enough. I want more. Jesus was given a role by the Father and he submitted himself to that role, even though it meant death on a cross. Folks, this attitude that we have in society of what are you doing for God? Why don't you do more? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? It is actually coming from the enemy and not from Jesus. All through the scriptures, the Bible teaches Find the role you've been given and stay there. 
Let me show you something you might not have ever seen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. You want to keep reading? You can look at it later on. But look at verse 17. Look at what he says again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. When you start finding yourself getting worried about things that are bigger than you and outside of you. It's probably because God never intended you to worry about those things. I had the privilege of preaching to some men today at noon at Men in Motion at Central Baptist. And we looked at the story where Elijah, after he's been used of God in the story of the prophets of Baal, Elijah, uh, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he wants to die. And he says, I'm the only one left. And God meets him and says, relax. You're not the only one left. There's 7,000 haven't bowed their knee to Baal. I know who's who and I know who's not. And I still got a couple more things I want you to do. I want you to go back to Damascus and I want you to go to Syria and I want you to anoint Hazael, the king over Syria. I want you to go and then anoint Jehu, the king over Israel. And I want you to go anoint Elisha as be a replacement as a prophet. And everyone that escapes the sword of Hazael, they're going to run into Jehu. And everyone that escapes the sword of Jehu, they're going to run into Elisha. In other words, um, the reason you're all freaked out is you lost sight of the fact that I'm big and I got it all under control. And second of all, you thought it was your job to make sure that the whole nation of Israel responded. That was never your job. Your job was just to preach and to teach in the time that I had for you. I hear something I want you to do. You go anoint this guy, you anoint this guy and this guy, and then your time is done. I've got a role for each of you. Find out what it is. So who in the world's eyes is more important, Tychicus or Paul? In the world's eyes, it's Paul, isn't it? But in God's eyes, it's not. Each of us have a role. Find out what it is and go do it according to how God's gifted and called you. All right? Now, let's go back to Colossians. We need to look briefly at Mark, Barnabas' cousin. It says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. By the way, Aristarchus, we've already seen his name. He was actually the one they grabbed in Ephesus when the riot broke out. They grabbed Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, Paul didn't always feel really good about Mark. If you know it all, and I'm going to show you. If you don't know, I'm going to show you. Here he talks well of, of Mark. He says, receive him. If he comes to you, welcome him. And actually, later on, keep reading. And also says, Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the, the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they, meaning Mark and Justice, have been a comfort to me. He speaks really well of Mark here. But he didn't always feel this way about Mark. Let me explain to you what I mean. Go back to Acts chapter 12. Look at verses 25 through chapter 13, verse 5, starting in Acts 12, verse 25. It says, And Barnabas, Acts 12, verse 25, And Barnabas and Saul re returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. We've heard him called John Mark. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, 
Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. This John, by the way, is the same one we see it there at the end of chapter 12, which is John Mark. So they bring Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, with them when God sends them off on their first missionary journey. Go to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. It said, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So at some point in this missionary journey, John Mark leaves. Now, if there wasn't what I'm about to show you, we wouldn't know a whole lot more about this. But if you go to chapter 15, starting in verse 36, this is after their first missionary journey. They've been all over. They've come back to Antioch and reported all that God had done. And in chapter 15, verse 36, the scripture says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take him with them. Sorry, not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp, sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. After that first missionary journey of, of, of a period of time, they come back to Antioch. Paul then says, you know what, Barnabas, let's go again, and let's go visit those churches that we helped get started and encourage the brothers. And Barnabas says, let's give John Mark another shot. Paul goes, no. He left us. I don't think it's best we take him again. I'm, I'm not sure he's up to it. I'm not sure he's ready. Barnabas was so convinced that he should take him that he and Paul got into a fight. You ever seen Christians get into disagreement? They got into such a bad disagreement, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, Paul took Silas, and they went off on their separate ways. Yet now here, when he's sitting in prison, he says, by the way, um, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. He's been a comfort to me. Go to Philemon. Look at verses 23 and 24. We've already seen the book of Philemon. Go back. Look at verses 23 and 24. It says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So again, Paul actually says, hey, Mark says hi too. Now go to 2 Timothy real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 9 through 11. This is the last book that we have Paul writing before he uh, goes to be with the Lord. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, sorry, verse 9 through 11. Paul says, Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. What brought about the change in Paul's attitude toward Mark? Does anybody know? What brought about the change in Paul's attitude toward John Mark? <laughs> Christ, good answer, because that works for everything. Um, <laughs> second, 
I'll be honest with you, I didn't know until I did the digging for this study. But I'm just going to be honest with you, folks. If God didn't call me to be a preacher and teacher, I probably wouldn't know the Word of God as well as I do. I thank God a lot of times that He's given me the role He has because it makes me dive into the Word. Some of you that are teachers know what I'm talking about. You learn more in your preparation to be used of God to go teach the Word, things that you probably would have never learned. And I learned something in here that I had never learned before. Some of you already know this. The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark. If you didn't know that, the one that deserted them, and Paul said, we don't want him to go with us on that next missionary journey. He's the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. What brought about the change in Paul's attitude toward Mark? The change in Mark. What brought about the change in Mark? This is something that unless you did some digging, you might not know. John Mark had a wonderful mentor in Peter. Someone else who had failed and chickened out in ministry when things got hard. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verses 12 through 14. At the end of Peter's letter here, he says, By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my what? My son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. And again, John Mark wasn't Peter's earthly son, but in the Spirit, through Christ, he had become a mentor to him. And like I said, was there somebody that could come across a young John Mark who had chickened out when things got tough in the ministry and say, been there, done that, God will still use you? There anybody better than Peter. And actually, most likely, people that have studied, they believe that God, the gospel of Mark was just simply Mark's recording of the teaching of Peter about Jesus. You Remember, Peter was one of the ones who walked with Jesus during all those years. And, John, and Mark just simply recorded Peter's stories of his encounters with Jesus. And the gospel of Mark was most likely the teaching of Peter. And because of the change in Mark, because of the use of Peter in Mark's life, Paul changed his attitude about Mark. Now do you see the value of us coming alongside of people? By the way, people don't always get it right. People always, don't always make their correct assessment about individuals. But God never gives up on us, does he? Some of you have been given the gift of Mercy. I have no idea what it's like, but you, some of you have it. My wife said to one of my kids tonight, as they were saying that something, I, and a statement I had made in the house was true, but it was kind of harsh. My wife said, you, you do realize your dad's a prophet, right? He doesn't think about how you're going to receive it or whether it's going to hurt your feelings. He's just going to tell you the truth. I remember thinking in the other room, I'm glad she's defending me, even though it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> but there's some, truth, there's some truth to what she was saying. I, 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 I'll tell you right now. Because of how God's made me, I need to be able to go into places where it's hard to speak the truth and speak the truth. But if I'm worried about whether or not you're going to like it, I'm not going to be very good at what God's called me to do. But there's a lot of people like my wife 
who've been given the gift of mercy. And y'all are supposed to come alongside of the people who might have been run over by the Pauls and say, he didn't mean it the way it sounded. And there are some of you have been gifted by God to come alongside of people and work with people and nurture them and teach them and train them. And some people take more time than others, correct? I've had to learn in my role that God's given me. See, as a pastor, I used to try to counsel. People would want to come to me because they thought I had biblical insight and knowledge from God, and they'd want me to counsel them, and they'd want me to walk them through their struggles. And in the first parts of my ministry, in the first years, I would have hours and hours of counseling ministry. And to be honest with you, I hated it. I thought it was what I was supposed to do because the pastor's supposed to be a counselor too, you know. But I would get so frustrated when people would ask me things, and I'd show them, and they wouldn't do it. I'll be honest with you, I can't think of one marriage that I sat down with a husband and wife and it didn't end up in divorce. I wish I could tell you. I used to get mad and say, you're making me look bad. Just do what I tell you. Half the time they'd already made up their mind. They just wanted the blessing. Then I started to say, well, I'm only going to give you three sessions. If I can't help you in three sessions, I, you, I have to send you to somebody else. And finally, I got to the point where I realized God's called me to preach and teach his word without apology. And all these hours of counseling are getting in the way of my study. They're getting in the way of my ability to preach the word the way God's called me to. Because let's just say hypothetically, you come and you sit down with me in my office and you talk to me about how your child, son or daughter, is struggling with homosexuality. The next time I get to a passage of scripture that deals with that issue, I'm going to be tentative toward preaching it the way that God tells me to preach it for fear that you're going to think I'm talking about your kid or how you're going to respond. And I finally had to come to a realization that for Jim Johnson, I wasn't supposed to be counseling people. That I was to be spending my time living in the word, feeding on the word, preaching the word without apology, and folks, I'll tell you now, if you want me to come and meet with you and counsel with you, I'm sorry. You wouldn't like it. <laughs> My method of counseling is cry a river, build a bridge, get over it. Here's what the word says. Go do it. I try to look compassionate, but I'm sitting there with a dog biscuit on my nose. Just finished so I can tell you what the word says. But there are some of you that have been wired by God to be those people who do listen. And that's why we struggle so much in our churches, because some of you need someone like that. And you've expected the pastor to be that guy. And you know what? There might have been a guy in the past who was that kind of a guy, because some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists and some are shepherds. And you might have had a guy who was a great shepherd and he would listen and he would counsel with you and he didn't mind spending time with you and he'd walk you through stuff and you loved him for it. But I can promise you, you probably said this about that guy. I'm just not getting fed. He's a wonderful man. He listens well, but man, he just doesn't preach like I'd like him to. And I can promise you, if you've been in churches over the years, where there was a man that was gifted by God to teach and preach the Word of God, you thought, man, I'd love to hear that guy. He just doesn't visit enough. He's not approachable. I don't think he listens. Folks, that's why God designed all of us. 
You want my personal, from the scriptures, opinion? I think that the senior pastor in our churches, because I think there should be more than one, but this lead pastor in our churches should be a powerful preacher of the word of God, and that should be his main focus. And that's what's going to be, you watch, churches will grow if there's someone that is preaching and teaching the word of God without apology and with authority. But if you boggle him or bog him down with all this other stuff, it's going to weaken the church. There are others who have been called to do some of that stuff, and some of them aren't on paid staff. It's you. If God puts people in your path according to the gifting you've given, been given, just let God begin to use you. Let God begin to use you. I thank God for Mark. But I thank God for Peter. And I thank God that, P that Paul was wise enough at the end to say, you know what, he ain't so bad after all. Yes, sir. Do you think there's a possibility when he left, Mark, Mark left the first time, that Paul scorned him because he was young? Mm -hmm. And then he hung out with Timothy, who was also young, and he saw maybe he learned. I'll be honest with you, I'm sure that's a strong possibility. We don't know. It's, spe it's speculation. But at the same time, yeah, it might have been his first thought. Because you know Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy 3 that if they're going to be a leader in the church, they must not be a recent convert. And the word elder has with it a picture of older man. Yet we know from Timothy that Paul didn't think that a young person couldn't be, but he had to be very mature in the faith. There's a chance that in his time with Timothy, I just don't know. I don't know. Good question. Yes, sir. Um, at the time, this was probably written about 51 AD, so was the Gospel of Mark already written? At this time, actually, this is between 60 and 62 AD. This is between 60 and 62 AD, so yes. The Gospel of Mark was written. Wasn't Mark the first Gospel that was written? Most people lean toward the fact that Mark's Gospel was the first one written, yes. Anybody else? Because this is our stopping point. We'll finish Colossians next week, and whatever time we have left, we'll, I'll ha we'll have some fun. We'll do some, some, some things when it comes to prophecy and all. We still got, let me think, how many pages? I didn't do bad. We only got two and a half pages left. So we'll finish Colossians next Tuesday, and then with the time we have left, we'll deal with some prophecy things. Folks, thank you again for coming. I look forward to what God wants to do. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word and the fact that there's so much we can pull out of just Paul doing administration at the end of his letter. Lord, every word is God-breathed. Every word has been inspired by you and, and put here by you. You determine what's in, what's out. And Lord, I thank you for that. So now, Lord, I pray that we've been encouraged ourselves tonight. Father, take our eyes off of individuals that might have disappointed us over the years. Just like there have been times that we could look back and realize we haven't exemplified all that it meant to be in Christ. Lord, may we give them that same benefit of the doubt and let some people go tonight that we've been hanging on to with what they've done or said or didn't do. Father, tonight I pray that you would heal us when it comes to some pastors that we've had in our minds who were a disappointment to us because they let us down. Barbie, some people need to let me go tonight in that area. Father, may we put our eyes back on you. And realize that you have a plan. You will accomplish everything according to your will. And all that we need to be looking for is how do we fit in? How can you use us? And being willing to be a part of what you're doing, believing that you who began this good work will finish it. And so, Lord, thank you for the last verses in the book of Colossians. Thank you for Tychicus and Aristarchus, Onesimus even, and even Mark. 
We thank you for how we fit in. In your name we pray. Amen.